Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats for another hour of the PFT Live podcast. Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, NBC Sports Radio, wrapping up Chris Sims' vacation week. He wouldn't be working today anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Shereen Williams joining us for the second straight day. Swanky new studio in her house with the Roger Staubach jersey in the background. Thank you very much. Hail Mary, December 28, 1975. Thank you very much, Drew Pearson. Pushed off. All Roger Staubach did was throw the ball. I ain't mad at him. Actually, I'm mad at the officials who... I'm mad at two things from that game 44-plus years later. One, the officials for missing the blatant interference. Two, the Vikings for letting Nate Wright cover Drew Pearson one-on-one with the season on the line as Paul Krause sauntered over way too late to help prevent Drew Pearson from scoring the game-winning touchdown. That's it. But I ain't bitter. 44 years and a month and a half later. All right. It's a little early to go prison Mike, but I'm feeling a little prison Mikey. I'm feeling it. I got another topic coming up in a half hour that may be more suited to the prison Mike open that Stats put together. Miles Garrett. Curious timeline. Well, not curious. Not surprising timeline. Reinstated Wednesday. Thursday, exclusive ESPN interview with Miles Garrett. I have a feeling that this wasn't whipped together on Wednesday or Thursday. That this wasn't a situation where, hey, Miles Garrett's been reinstated. Let's set up an interview. Let's get there. Let's sit down with him. Let's get it prepared. Let's get it ready. Let's have it on SportsCenter on on Sunday. Let's leak a piece of it Thursday night, the day after he's reinstated. Yeah, can we do it? Can we do it? Can we do it? No. 
It's been in a can. Pre-taped, pre-recorded with the understanding that it will remain off the grid until the day after Miles Garrett is reinstated. And they're never going to come out and say it because they want us to think, they want us to think that it all was recorded in the 36 hours after he was reinstated. But let me tell you this, if they had managed to pull that off, cradle to grave, 36 hours after the reinstatement came out, they'd tell us that. It would be in the item that appears at ESPN.com. But what they very craftily say in the article posted by Jake Trotter, 9.55 p.m. Eastern Thursday night, they refer to it as Garrett telling outside the lines Mina Kimes during an interview that debuted Thursday night on SportsCenter. Perfectly truthful. It did debut, but it sure as hell wasn't taped Wednesday or Thursday. And I'm saying this because this is part of the calculated Mason, Mason, Miles Garrett redemption tour. Now that the NFL's court of Roger Goodell has authorized Miles Garrett to return to the Browns and to play this year, now that that hurdle is cleared, Miles Garrett can focus on the court of public opinion, something he has deliberately avoided ever since the incident. Remember when Jay Glazer of Fox was going to interview Miles Garrett the Sunday after this all happened and somebody pulled the plug on it, it was ready to go. And there was a discrepancy and a dispute over whether it was the Browns that said to Garrett, don't do it, or whether Garrett's people decided not to do it. But if this stuff comes out before the NFL says you're reinstated, Anything you say can and will be used against you in your effort to get reinstated. So let's get reinstated, and then after that, he can do an interview. Or, more accurately, do the interview, and after he's reinstated, ESPN is authorized to use the interview. I think that's exactly what happened. And I say all that because if we accept the commonsensical conclusion that this is about getting people to see Mason... Why do I keep saying Mason? See Miles Garrett. Well, I know I keep saying Mason because Mason Rudolph is the guy who got whacked over the head with his own helmet. To see Miles Garrett, to heal my, hear Miles Garrett, and to think, ah, eh, this guy's okay. Yeah, sure, he did something that we've never seen before on an NFL gridiron, and he could have seriously injured or killed Mason Rudolph, and it was a gross lack of self-control and it makes me wonder will he ever do it again but well okay we know why he did it now because he reiterated during the interview the claim that mason rudolph got it right that time used a racial slur that kind of sort of prompted the incident because what he says is that the slur was uttered, and Garrett initially walked away, but then Rudolph kept coming, and that's when it all got stirred up again. Now, here's the thing. Garrett wasn't happy that it got out that he mentioned 
the slur from Mason Rudolph during his initial hearing, the one that resulted in the six-game, well, the indefinite suspension, it ended up being a six-game suspension, but it resulted in the indefinite suspension being upheld. Garrett was uh, unhappy with that, supposedly. Supposedly. I don't buy it. All right, I hate to, look, I... I understand this is a sensitive matter. It's a serious allegation. I don't think there's any place in the sport for that kind of stuff to be said. But I also reserve the right to call BS on any and all topics. And I think Garrett did want that out. I think Garrett's camp wanted that out because it tends to make people say, okay, well, I understand why I whacked the guy over the helmet. I would have done the same damn thing. So it came up again. In the piece of the interview that debuted Thursday night, taped at some point, surely before the reinstatement, it came up again. Mina Kimes asked Garrett point blank, why didn't you want that to come out? And he said, because I didn't want to try to use it as justification for my actions because there's nothing to justify. There's nothing that I can say or do to justify what I did on that day. Okay, fine. That's good. That's good. But... He's still using it as justification. He's using it as part of this effort to get people to say, hey, he's okay. He's a good dude. Even though he did something that could have seriously injured or killed an opposing player. Something that is so far beyond the bounds of what is accepted on a football field that he received an unprecedented suspension for conduct occurring after the whistle. This is all part of the very manicured, very carefully orchestrated and engineered effort to get people to like Miles Garrett, period. It's what it is. Now, I don't know that Miles Garrett, at a fairly young age still, I don't know that he came up with this, but somebody sure as hell did. Somebody's pulling the strings and pressing the levers here. And maybe he's telling the God's honest truth when he says, I didn't want to use it as justification. But this broader package that we're being sold is aimed at justifying what he did. So it makes the justification even better if he's saying, I don't want to use it as justification. Do you think the people who hear again the claim of a racial slur, which has been vehemently denied by the Steelers and by Mason Rudolph, do you think the people who hear that are saying, Wow, that really justifies what he did. But you know what? I'm not going to treat it as justification because Miles Garrett doesn't want to treat it as justification. Baloney. Baloney. This is all part of an effort to make everyone feel better about Miles Garrett. And here's the thing this is the flaw in this broader strategy or 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 maybe it's not the flaw maybe it's the risk they assume and accept or they just say hey it's going to be this way anyway he's going to hear more stuff like this he's going to hear it he's going to hear it regardless of the race of the opponent he's going to be baited he's going to be constantly harassed verbally constantly the top item at pft right now is chris jones the chief's defensive tackle telling our buddies at pardon my take that he got tom brady all riled up when they played this year by calling him old constantly calling him old 
Get your old ass up off the ground. Bleepity bleep bleep. Miles Garrett is going to be constantly baited. Why? Why? Because there's now a strategic, a clear strategic component to it. Remember when John Randall used to do research on guys pre-internet and he would ask them about their wives and use their middle names and he just would never shut up? He was trying to get the guy to just kind of like hesitate for a half second so he could blow by him. He wasn't trying to get the guy to go nuts and beat the hell out of him and get ejected. This is going to be a strategic effort, I believe. I believe. I, I, I'm not saying they should. I learned that lesson three weeks and two days ago. I'm not saying they should. I'm trying to predict how this is going to go down. And hell, it may be coached by some teams. We're playing Miles Garrett. You know what that means? Call him every name in the book. Call his mother every name in the book. Call his sister, if he has one, every name in the book. Never stop. Constantly, constantly, constantly say things to this guy. Constantly. Because if we can get him off the field, we're more likely to win. Period. If we can get him suspended again, we're more likely to win the division. Period. A strategic component. And I'm not saying it justifies it. I'm not saying it justifies using the language. It definitely doesn't justify the reaction. All I'm saying is I believe based on what I know about the sport that there will be players and there will be coaches who try to use this weakness, this flaw, this defect in Miles Garrett against him. Because he's already blown a gasket once when he's heard a word he didn't like. Setting aside the propriety of the word, there is a reason now that some will recognize as a basis for trying to get under this guy's skin, period. And he's highlighting it. In his effort to get people to like him again and to understand why he did what he did, even though there'll be some people that will say, like he does, there's no justification for what I did, there will be plenty of people who say that justifies what he did. The price he's going to pay for this is constantly hearing this kind of crap. Tony Dungy, who was with us right after the claim emerged that a slur was used by Mason Rudolph, here's what he had to say on the topic. Let's roll it. I'm sorry, I don't have sympathy with Miles Garrett if, in fact, that is what happened. If we're on the bottom of the pile and Mason Rudolph is kneeing you in the groin or he's trying to poke your eye out or he's twisting your knee, something that's going to affect your ability to do your work and your career, then, yeah, you can go off. But you can't go off because somebody said something to you. All kinds of things get said out there on the field. I can't go off and jeopardize my team's chances to go to the playoffs, my career, my ability to make money because somebody called me a name. I don't care what name he, he said. That is not an excuse to me. And Coach Dungy, Hall of Famer, also suggested that if someone is saying things that you think are inappropriate, you take it up after the game. And I think also what you can do, and we see this all the time, guys go to officials and say, hey, he's holding me, or look at how he's grabbing me, or whatever. And you can go to the official and say, you hear the things this guy's saying? Will you pay attention to this? They added a rule several years ago 
to penalize and fine and punish guys for using racial slurs. Hey, man, I got a go I got a guy here who's using a racial slur against me. Do that. But Miles Garrett has shown that weakness. It's just like the kid on the playground. Once you show that something bothers you, what happens? They're going to keep doing it because they know it bothers you. And this is the big boy playground. This is where everything has a strategic component. And there is a strategic value. And it's never going to go away. It's never going away. For as long as Miles Garrett plays, he's going to hear it. Now, I don't know, maybe after two, three years, if he doesn't blow a gasket again, he won't. I think he has written a check that he's going to have to cash over and over and over again. Take a quick break. When we return, my thoughts on yesterday's misadventures from WDIV-TV in Detroit regarding the report that the Lions are trying to trade Matthew Stafford. We'll discuss that next right here on PFT Live. Bernie Smilovitz of WIV-TV has been an institution in Detroit. He's the sports director at the station, but he's not a guy that covers the Lions. He's not a guy that breaks Lions news. He's not a guy that goes to press conferences, that shows up at the locker room. So it was odd, very odd, that he was reporting that the Lions have for the past two weeks been trying to trade Matthew Stafford. And the original report said that it was based on sources close to Stafford and the Lions. And then at some point in the day on Thursday, it was revised to say sources close to the Lions. Which means either that it was a clumsy thing to say Stafford and the Lions, because that really is kind of a poorly sourced, like, are you really going to have multiple sources connected to Stafford and the Lions before you go forward with a story like this in this day and age when everyone wants to be first. I think you're going to get to the point where you are comfortable with it before you have multiple sources, both from the player's perspective and the team's perspective. The more likely reality is words just get put out there. Words get put out there. And sometimes the source will say, can you say sources close to both sides or can you say it's a source from x when it's not and i won't do that i'll just say i'll keep it very very general league source that's the ultimate catch-all that leaves no fingerprints so look i was told yesterday that it's quite possible this entire thing flowed from the bs that agents are spewing now in an effort to try to engineer free agency in a way that helps their clients. And it's as low-tech as you can get. It's as low-tech as you can get. It's the idea that if an agent says, well, forget about trying to get a quarterback in free agency to Indianapolis because they're trading for Matthew Stafford. If an agent says that to an agent who represents a quarterback that otherwise could be in play for the Colts, that that may scare that agent off. So the agent who's telling the lie can focus on getting his client to the Colts. It's goofy. But I was told yesterday reliably that that dynamic is at play, and I think at least within the Lions organization, there's a belief that that's what happened. Now, I'm going to go another step farther with this. 
because it was Stafford's wife that reacted on social media. And Stafford's wife did a sit-down with that station, not with Smilovitz, but with someone who who is more actively involved in covering the Lions. It's entirely possible. It's entirely possible that Matthew Stafford's wife is the one who fueled this thing. And it got handed off to Bernie Smilovitz, so the tracks are covered. And it was sourced as sources close to the Lions and Stafford to cover the tracks. And then yesterday, when it all started to kind of hit the fan, the reference to sources close to Stafford were removed from the story. And I haven't written that aspect of it yet. I've kind of pieced that together since yesterday morning when I tried to put the whole thing to bed and move on to other stories. But I kind of have a feeling that there's enough chatter out there that maybe Kelly Stafford is concerned, rightfully so, that they're going to have the rug pulled out from under them in Detroit, that the Lions maybe haven't done enough to try to get the Staffords to realize that everything's fine, everything's okay, and he's not going to be traded, and that that frustration, that concern, that understandable and justifiable uncertainty manifested itself in her saying something to the person who interviewed her and then everyone coming up with a convoluted, complicated way to keep dirt on the tracks to get this out there and bring it to a head. Let's just bring this to a head now so we can quit talking about it. And it sounds like now that it's been brought to a head, it's been put to bed, and Matthew Stafford ain't being traded. Unless he wants out. That's the other side of this. Got more PFT Live coming for you right after this. PFT Live and NBC Sports Radio is brought to you by The Home Depot, where they have everything you need to complete projects smarter, faster, easier. Welcome to today's Home Depot, how doers get more done. I don't want to go full prison Mike here, but are you freaking kidding me? There's somebody I'd like you to meet. Are you kidding me? I'm prison Mike. Okay, I am prison Mike now. You, my friend, would be the belle of the ball. I got the purple bandana. Michael, please. Are they nuts? I am in his gay The more I think about that, the madder I get. Oh, well, well. All right, hey, 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 hey. Suit, jacket, tie, purple bandana. Prison Mike. All right, a little prison mic time. Uh, Okay, it turns out, let me go back to the pre-prison mic topic from today, Miles Garrett. The interview actually was taped yesterday. (laughs) So uh, forget everything I said about this idea that the interview happened earlier and it's been in the can. Regardless, it doesn't change my broader point that, number one, the justification falls flat the effort to say it's not justification falls flat and he's going to be hearing about it uh for the rest of his career he's going to be hearing things he doesn't like for the rest of his career i heard something earlier this week that i can't say i disliked it just made me curious cardinals chairman michael bidwell influential member of membership as they call it i guess it sounds fancier than ownership i don't know He was talking about the push, the inevitable quest for 17 games. 
And here's a line that was uttered by him in his appearance on 98.7 FM in Phoenix. I think our fans would like more. We have surveyed our fans. The health and safety data plays out that we can do 17 games and it's not going to impact the safety and health of the players. So I saw that and I said, okay, all right, okay. Um, Well, what did you do to survey your fans? And I say that, and you know what? It may not have registered for me if we hadn't done a poll last week on Twitter. Like if I hadn't done that poll that had 56,000 plus votes and 62 plus percent of them said no we don't want 17 games if i hadn't done that then i may have just shrugged at okay they surveyed their fans well yeah the fans want more they always want more people want more give me more give me more so armed with my own somewhat scientific poll and it wasn't a push poll we talked about this yesterday it wasn't do you want 17 games Or do you want no games? It was, do you want 17 games, period. No's had it by 62 plus percent. So I asked both the Cardinals and the league two things. One, can you tell me more about the survey that was done? I'd have loved to have seen the questions. I'd have loved to have assessed the data that supported the notion that the fans have been surveyed and they want more. And then I said, hey, how about the health and safety data? that says you can do 17 games and it's not going to impact the safety and health of the players. So here's what the Cardinals told me. It wasn't any type of formal polling or data-driven research, but rather anecdotal feedback from Cardinals fans Michael interacted with at team events and functions. So there was no survey. There was no survey that relates to fans wanting more. It's just people he talks to at functions making him think they want more, which is as unscientific and unquantitative, thus qualitative, as you can get. The NFL told me this, the league and teams have spoken to fans over the years to get their thoughts about a wide range of topics, including changes to the season structure. Fans have been supportive of the idea of 17 games. So again, I mean, don't you, listen, don't you do something? Don't you do a full-blown survey? Don't you commission some firm to go out and get real answers to the question of whether or not your fans want more games? Or you just assume that... If they get more, they're going to consume more. I mean, what are people going to do? Not watch? Their favorite team is playing an extra game that counts. Are they going to watch it? Or are they not going to watch it? It's that simple. They don't care what the fans want. They just assume they want more. They assume the appetite is there for more. And at some point they cross the boundary at some point they overly saturate the public with their product but they've already decided they want two more games and maybe they've done surveys on 18 but I don't see anything out there that has been generated as a scientific proposition 
suggesting that they've surveyed fans and come to the conclusion based upon the results of those surveys that fans want 17. As it relates to health and safety, and I haven't written this yet or written it again, we had an item back in November where John York, who is both a doctor and chairman of the Owners Health and Safety Committee, told Dan Kaplan of The Athletic that they've determined that when you add a regular season game and take away a preseason game, the changes in health and safety are minimal. In some cases, it's a minimal decrease. Others, it's a minimal increase. But the problem with that, and I think we all understand how this works, if you reduce the preseason by a game and you increase the regular season by a game, it's not the same net collisions and snaps for the same people. If you reduce the preseason by a game, it's not like the starters are playing one less game because the starters are hardly playing anyway now in the preseason. And I think it's going to be even more common for non-starters to populate the entire preseason if there's only three games because they're going to try to keep the starters ready for all 17. I think we all understand by now that even though the total number of games won't change, it's still going to be 20. They're just moving the pin on the dividing line between preseason and regular season. The starters are the ones who are going to play more. The starters are the ones who are going to be exposed to an extra game, assuming you're healthy enough to play 17. So you're taking a guy that's played 16, he's still healthy, and he's playing 17. I mean, we see guys play in the first round of the playoffs all the time that played 16 regular season games. If you're still healthy, you're playing 17. And then you're going to be 18. And then it's going to be 19. And then it's going to be 20. And you can have a guy playing up to 21 games now if you have someone who plays in the wild card round and goes all the way to the Super Bowl. So... It, it's just, look, I, remember I said yesterday, just 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 be straight with us. D- don't make us think that there's these convoluted and complicated efforts to, to determine in a scientific way that A, people want more football, and B, more football is fine. The truth is, they want to do it. The truth is, they run the sport. The truth is, they're going to do what they want. Just like Cartman. They're going to do what they want. Because they've always done what they want, and it's always worked. And the sport has grown and grown and grown. And this is the next way for it to grow. Increase the inventory. Supply and demand. We're going to increase the supply, and we assume the demand will stay the same. We're just giving people one more week of football. And for the players, the question isn't 17 or 16. The question ultimately is 17 or zero. And until the players can demonstrate to the league a willingness to absorb a lockout, miss game checks for an extended period of time, or go on strike, miss game checks for an extended period of time, 
when it's time for the league to talk tough, when it's time for the league to be tough, when it's time for the league to say or else, when it's time for the league to say to the players, say uncle, they're going to yell uncle. That's why they're pushing so hard right now on the union side to get this deal done. Because D. Smith knows when push comes to shove, the players aren't going to tell the league to shove it. And that's fine. That's fine. But it is a clear weakness that was shown in 1987 during the failed strike when guys started crossing the picket lines during the replacement games and in 2011 on the brink of actually losing money. They worked out a deal. And the deal that the players took was basically the same deal that they walked away from in March. So why walk away now from a deal that's basically the same as the one the players are going to take in late July, early August of 2021, especially when they can take this deal and turn it into new TV contracts executed before the ratings take a hit and before a recession gets rolling. It's that simple. It's 17 or zero. And the players ultimately will take 17. And we ultimately will take 17. And eventually, it will be 18. What are we going to do? Stop watching? We can huff and we can puff, but we ain't blowing anybody's house down over more games that count. It's ludicrous when you think of it. Do you like it? No. Are you going to stop watching? Hell no. I mean, I've accepted that it's going to happen. Anger, denial, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Although I was never angry about it. I see where this ball is moving. I'm surprised it's taken this long for the ball to move close to the direction of extra games. And also, the fact that gambling is now legalized and states are coming online all the time. There are 14 states that have it. There are 21 total that are in motion. So seven more will be online soon with wagering. The numbers are through the roof in New Jersey. The NFL will make more money, much more money, if it gives people more things to bet on. And people don't want to bet on the preseason. They want to bet on games that count, period. So, hell, I don't know. Maybe in my lifetime, there'll be 20 regular season games. All right, we got to take a break. So, I look, I'm not, I'm not for it. I'm not against it. I accept it's happening. I accept it's happening. And if the players are going to agree to it, who am I to say they shouldn't? And I think they're eventually going to agree to it. When we return, will Eric Bannemi agree to become the next head coach at the University of Colorado? He hasn't said hell no yet. Will he eventually? We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues right after this. So the University of Colorado has an unexpected vacancy at the head coaching position now that Mel Tucker to the dismay of Drew Pearson, has bolted for Michigan State. Enter Eric Bieniemy, possibly. The school's all-time leading rusher, member of the 1990 National Championship team, and highly successful offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, has been contacted not once, but according to Mike Kliss of Nine News in Denver, twice about the vacancy. Adam Schefter of ESPN reported Thursday night that Bianami is doing his due diligence. 
Now, look, out of respect to the school, BNME, probably not going to say, get out of my face. Are you kidding? A school that's a stepping stone to Michigan State? You think I'm coming to coach that school? I don't care that I played there. The star has faded on the University of Colorado. It happens. Programs rise, programs fall. And that's coming from a recovering fan of a program 30 miles up the road that is in fall mode at West Virginia. Maybe they'll rise again. Maybe I'll jump back on the bandwagon. But if you're the enemy, you got to be pragmatic. He's one cycle away from potentially being an NFL head coach. And he's working with one of the greatest quarterbacks that we've ever seen who may go down as one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time. Bienvenue has a chance to get a second ring in 2020, an NFL head coaching job in 2021, and if not, maybe a third ring, maybe a chance to succeed Andy Reid in Kansas City. I don't know why in the hell you would want to press pause on a potentially highly successful NFL career, especially at a time when the curve has been blown open for first-time NFL head coaches by the Panthers, who are paying Matt Rule close to $9 million a year, why do you want to go to Colorado? And how long are you going to stay in Colorado? One year? Two years? Look, I could see at some level there is a benefit to becoming a head coach wherever you can become a head coach. I've seen that argued. But Becoming a head coach at the University of Colorado will feel like, to me, he's stepping off of the the ride. He's he's on the ride now. He's locked in. The ride is moving. And it's eventually, inevitably, going to move him toward being a head coach in the NFL. I think I would be patient. Now, maybe the nostalgia is going to pull at his heartstrings. Maybe they're making a big pitch. Maybe they're offering a ton of money. And I don't think the Chiefs are going to step up and say, hey, Eric, we'll give you a raise because they've got Mike Kafka there ready to go. Andy Reid's always got somebody else ready to go. Doug Peterson leaves. Oh, I got uh, Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy leaves. Oh, I got uh, Eric Bieniemy. Bieniemy leaves. Oh, I got Mike Kafka. I'll get somebody else behind him ready to go. That's how it works. So... I think he's just being nice. I think if it was any other school that called him up out of the blue in February and said, hey, would you like to come coach us? He would laugh and hang up. Although even then, it's probably smart to at least be courteous. It's probably smart to just hear them out because you never know how the dominoes are going to fall and where people are going to be. And you don't want to make an enemy gratuitously. And this is coming from a guy who's gratuitously made enemies for the last 20 years. But I've learned that, that you never know where those people are going to show up again. So I'm revisiting my approach here. I'm revising my attitude when it comes to somebody telling me something I don't want to hear and me slamming down the phone. Get out of here. I'm busy. Leave me alone. So, look, I, I think that the enemy is destined to be an NFL head coach. And if I was Eric Bieniemy, I would have a heart-to-heart with Andy Reid sooner rather than later to find out exactly how long he plans on coaching because 
uh, I would want to know, do I have a chance to be the next head coach who is working with one of the great quarterbacks of all time? Because it's a hell of a lot easier to be a good coach when you have great players. And when you've got Patrick Mahomes, yeah, even I could draw something up. Hey, Patrick, here's our play. Just go do something. Go make something happen. The receivers are all going to run around until you see one of them open. You run around until you see one of them open and then throw it to them on two. I could do that. So, all right. We got two full hours of PFT Live still to come. Shereen Williams is ready to go. The Roger Staubach jersey is still there. I tried to send somebody to take it. It didn't work. That's fine. I really am fine. The more I say it, it's like me trying to convince myself I'm fine. 44 years and 45 days later, 12 hours, 15 minutes. More PFT Live coming at you right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.